Well, before Dave comes to share with us this morning, uh, I'm going to uh, give the Bible reading. So if you would like to open up your Bible or your device, if you have it, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 25, or you might just like to sit and listen. So Matthew 25 verses 14 to 30. And this is Jesus and uh, one of the parables that he spoke. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Then he left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I have earned two more. The master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have got some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who, are, who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now, throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, good morning. To those that are here in the room and those that are online this morning, uh, great uh, to be together. What a great morning it has been so far, uh, worshipping. Great time out at Eagle Hawk. Great to be here as well too. Have you ever noticed how central money is to our very existence? You're probably thinking, yeah, yeah, duh. Um, it's, it's woven into the very fabric of just kind of who we are, isn't it? Uh, money just kind of happens all over the place, whether it's uh, the, the essentialness of money for acquiring just uh, basic needs in life. 
you know, we kind of get up this morning, we eat, you know, uh, we sleep in homes, we've got clothes on. Uh, money is essential for acquiring the basic necessities. I mean, imagine this morning or after this, you kind of wander out into Woolworths or Coles and you go shopping. And if you don't have any money uh, and you walk out of the building with all of your your foods, you'll, you'll soon be kind of pulled up to say, well, hang on a second, you haven't paid for that. You know, money's essential for, for basic needs. Uh, it's uh, you know, also uh, for you know, securing a good education or, or accessing really good health care. Uh, we know that money is an important part of economic growth and stability or even those very things that we know we like to do, whether it's uh, going on a holiday, uh, recreation, pursuing different pursuits in life. It all involves money. It just goes to show you that uh, it's uh, money, it's intricately woven into what we do. Now, while we all know that the acquiring or the pursuit of money is not necessarily a good thing, you think that's kind of what our life is defined by in terms of just getting more stuff, we know that that never keeps us happy. So while money is, the pursuit of it is not necessarily a good thing, The reality is that a conversation around money and its use and how it impacts our lives is always a really good conversation or it's an important matter for us to think about. You know, why would we here at Bendigo Baptist talk about money matters? Well, probably uh, to put it really quite simply, it's because this was something that Jesus spoke about on a regular basis. In fact, he spoke more about money and its use and our possessions. He spoke more about that than he ever did about faith and prayer combined. And if you look through the Gospels, um, there's around 38 to 40 parables that, that Jesus spoke. And close to one third of them addresses the issue of money uh, uh, and our possessions and the way in which we relate to the use of that. So why is this important? You know, is it because God wants to have a conversation about our stuff? Is God concerned about our stuff? No, not, not really in that sense. I mean, money, possessions, kind of neutral. God's not concerned about our stuff, but what God is concerned about is the way in which we relate to it. And often it is our stuff that is a diagnostic, it's a diagnostic around how well we are relating to God. So that's why Jesus spoke about it. This morning, our Pastor Trina read to us a story is often recalled or referred to as the parable of the talents. And if you've got your Bible, uh, I encourage you to kind of keep your finger there in, in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 25. Today is the beginning of it's a, a series we're going to do over the next three weeks where we kind of dig into some of the different parables that Jesus spoke uh, in relation to money matters. It was important to him, and so it's important to us on our journey as followers of Jesus, the discipleship issue. You know, money often becomes a stumbling block in our lives, and so one of the things that we do each year is we do something simple around that to to help us to keep thinking about, well, how well are we relating to God with the things that he has given to us? And today, as we kind of kick this off in this story called the parable of the talents, really the conversation to us, it's really one around ownership. It's ownership. And so the story kind of begins this way. Well, as we dig into these stories, and in particular the story today, there are four truths found in these scriptures in this story that I think are really important for us. 
You know, no matter where we at, where we might be at in our journey, whether we are exploring faith, new to faith, been on that journey for a little bit in time, there are four truths in this story that help us to uh, get a grasp on or to think about uh, the issues of money uh, and our possessions and how we relate to all of that. And so, if you got uh, your Bible open there, or you got your device open. Here's the first truth that I, I want us to kind of grasp in all of this, and it's simply the idea or the truth that God owns it all. You see, we see it right up there in the very beginning in verse 14. The story begins with a man going on a rather long journey. Now, we're not sure how long the journey is. We don't know whether it's a month, whether it's six months, or whether it's uh, an entire year. But what the text tells us that prior to his departure, this master, this owner, he gathered together uh, his employees, his servants, those who were the, the trusted ones who were around him. And, and we are told in verse 14 that he entrusted his wealth to them. We'll pause there for a moment. Uh, you know, you might be able to relate to this in this sense that, you know, when you've gone on a holiday at some point in time and, and you've had to leave your house for, for two, three, four weeks, uh, you know, what do you do if you've got animals or plants or different things to take care of? Well, quite often you entrust that responsibility to somebody else, don't you? You can't just kind of put the food out for the dog and hope that a month later the dog's going to still be fine. You know, we think about these things. Well, you know, the same is true in the day of Jesus when you, somebody was going to go on a trip. What they would typically do is that they would entrust some of the, the, uh, the management of their affairs to somebody else, to somebody who was trusted. You know, over the years, Julie and I have had young adults come and stay in our house to take care of our dogs and plants and just to be a, a presence in our house. Well, the same was true in Jesus' day that uh, somebody who had uh, a number of possessions, they would entrust the management, the care, the oversight of those resources to somebody who was trusted. And in this story, this wealthy man called together some of his employers, or employees, not employers, employees, and he trusted them with the management of all that he owns. In other words, they were the, the possessors, not the owners. I mean, these employees didn't kind of suddenly step in to take all of this wealth and go, well, I'm now the owner of all of this and I'm going to do what I want. No, no, they knew they were the possessors, not the owners, and their job was to carefully manage all that had been given to them. And here's the point that I want us to see in this story right up from the very beginning. Jesus is endeavoring to illustrate through this parable that it's this truth that God owns it all. And that's one of the big parts to this story. God owns it all. It's the emphasis in this passage, and you see it right throughout the entire scriptures from Genesis to the, to, from the beginning, Genesis to the last book in the book of Revelation. You, you see this over and over again, this emphasis that God owns it all. In uh, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, he quotes a passage from Psalm 24 where he says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In other words, God owns everything. So let's make this very real this morning. You know, uh, everything that we see around us, if you're up early this morning and the sun that was rising, or whether you went to bed last night and there's this giant moon, whatever it is, everything that we see in creation, God owns it all. You know, we often think, oh yeah, well I get that, that's creation, but then I've got my stuff and all of this that I own. Well, no, no. 
The Bible is pretty clear. The earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it. You know, I had to learn this truth a number of years ago. Uh, because in me, there was probably this sense where well, you'd hear it in my language where I would say, you know what? Hey, I just went out and bought my car. Or I went out and built my house. Well, I didn't build my house, but you know what I mean. I, I, I built my house. Or I went out and bought my clothes. Or I went out and bought some new shoes. Or, you know, the money that sits in my account, that's, that's my money. And, and God had to do a work in me reminding me that, you know what? Well, whilst, yes, I get the fact that it sits in my, you know, it, 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 it is my possessions. That they are something that I could identify that are mine. They're not really mine. Because God's word says that the earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it. In other words, the car that I drive or the motorbike that I ride, I might think it's mine, but really it's God's. Or the clothes that I am wearing, they're really God's clothes. And the money that has been deposited or entrusted into my care that sits in my own bank accounts, well, I could think it's my money, but in essence, it's really, it's God's. It's been uh, loaned to me by God. There are his assets that have been entrusted into my care and my keeping. God owns it all. You see, even in the book of Haggai, God kind of puts it this way. He said, uh, the earth, sorry, the silver is mine and the gold is mine too. In other words, you and I don't really own, if we're being honest, we don't own anything. God owns it all and he is entrusted into our care and our keeping the responsibility of being a great custodian and manager of all that he has given to us. That's the very first truth that we see in this story. If we, if we didn't go any further in that, we could just kind of camp on that one today. But there's more. Here's the second truth that I think we find in this parable. And it's the truth that God only gives us what we can handle. What do I mean? Well, in verse 15, this is what the master does. We see that he gives different talents or amounts of money to his servants. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability, then he went off on his journey. Now, is the amount the important thing? No, not really. One gets five, one gets two, and one gets one. But this is what I want us to notice. You see... Each servant receives an amount of money according to his ability. You know, what's that say to us today? Well, I think that tells us that our responsibility that we've been entrusted with, our responsibility is directly uh, linked or tied to our ability. See, one received five according to their ability, another one received two, another received one according to their ability. And that tells us that today that God's kingdom purposes do not operate on the basis of fairness, but on the basis or, or according to what God believes to be best. See, the servant, the, the, the master said, you know what, th th this one servant here, uh, he is wired in such a way that I am going to entrust him with five bags. To another one, it was two, and to another one, it was one. We can read this story and go, well, that's not really fair. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't the master give five, five, and five, or, or, or two, two, and two? That just doesn't seem fair at all. 
But that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that each was entrusted with what the master believed they could manage according to their own abilities. See, that runs a little bit counterculture into our, into our world today. Uh, you know, we, we firmly believe in fairness. You know, to the one who has only got this amount of money and this person's got this amount, they think, well, I should have as much as they've got. Or, you know, we, we, we should. fairness is really what we're after. We see it in our school system these days. When you have cross-country or athletic events and, and they're handing out ribbons, not just for first, second and third, but they want to give it to everybody so that everybody feels like they're a winner. You know what? God's economy doesn't work that way. See, he gives, uh, this master gives something to uh, each person according to their own ability. And we see this principle over and over again throughout the scriptures. And it's illustrated right here. It reminds us that God entrusts various tasks, various responsibilities to different people according to, the, to his sovereign purposes. And so therefore we have what we have because of what God has chosen to, to give to us to manage. He gives us what we can handle. And our job is to simply to be faithful with what he's entrusted us to work with. And here's the third truth. And it's simply this. One day, God is going to hold us accountable for what he has given to us to manage, to oversee, or to look after. Now, I'm not sure about you, but none, I'm yet to meet somebody who likes to give an account or to have their life audited. It just kind of sits a bit uncomfortable with us, doesn't it? That, uh, you know, this is going to happen. You know, uh, a number of years ago, I received this text message uh, from the ATO reminding me that uh, my affairs were not properly in order and that uh, very shortly the federal police would be at my doorstep there at 5 Aberdeen Drive and that if I wanted to circumvent uh, this event happening in my life that I was to call the particular number that was on the text message here and I could sort it all out. Uh, this is kind of long before kind of scams were uh, kind of a common process. And I, so I was suddenly gripped with fear. I'm thinking, what? My affairs are not in order? I got on the phone. I called my accountant really quickly. And I said, you know what? Can you please tell me, is this, have, have you done something wrong? Well, he very quickly assured me that he had done nothing wrong. And that I was not to respond to the number that was on my text message because it was only a scam. Uh, and, and to not worry about this particular event. You know, we don't like this idea of being audited, do we? Or being held to account for something. But it is really clear in this story, uh, we see it through the master. In verse 19, we are told that after a long time, the master of these two servants, or these three servants, returned to settle accounts with them. See, this long delay might have tempted these three men to think, ha, the master's not coming back. You know, uh, we're not the owners of this, we're the possessors of it, but maybe we really are the owners and we, we really don't. We can just kind of do what we want. But we're told here that he came back to give an, uh, and asked them to give an account for their management uh, and, that he's, and that he's coming back was, was surely going to happen. So what does that tell us? You see, as we think about this parable, and in fact, remember this parable, it's couched in the middle of Christ's conversation uh, about his second return. So he's reminding them that, yes, I am coming back, and, 
It's like I'm going on a long trip, but I will be back. And when I come back, there will be an accounting. Well, what's going on here? You see, a clear reading of this parable teaches us that Jesus is coming. And when he does, there's going to be a day of reckoning in our lives. The Apostle Paul spoke about this same thing in the book of Romans. He said, uh, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. It will happen. And on that day of reckoning, God will hold us to account for what we've done with what we have been given. That's the third truth. Here's the fourth one. You know, as the story kind of plays its way out, as we kind of watch the response of the first two servants versus the last servant, we are reminded of the truth that God rewards faithfulness and he punishes laziness. Let's look at the first two servants. In verse 16, we're told, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. These two men, both of them, they went to work. They're very industrious. They took the money that had been given to them uh, and they doubled their master's portfolio and when their master returned they are just jumping out of their skin to to want to show their master what they've done Uh, the word that you see here is the english word see but you know you can put other words in there look behold they are just simply over the moon they can't wait to share with their master what they have done and their master was obviously thrilled and he says the same thing to both of these men well done Good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The master rewards them. And what's really clear is the master does not reward them because they have doubled their money. That's not the word that you see. The master doesn't say, well done for doubling my money. Didn't say that at all. It's got nothing to do with the money, remember. It's more about the, the, the characteristics that were kind of embedded in the, in the lives of these two men. He calls them good and faithful. Well done, good and faithful servants. And he rewards them by giving them even more and then invites them to, uh, to come and to uh, uh, share in his joy and happiness. Now, what happens with the last servants? Well, verse 18 tells us that he takes a completely different approach with what he had been given. He dug a hole in the ground and he hid his master's money. Now, not too many of us in this room are watching online. Probably that's, how, that's not how we deal with our money. You know, if you've got a little windfall of money, you, you don't wander out into the backyard and dig a hole and bury your money. But in the day of Jesus, it was a common practice. That was one of the best ways of keeping one's money safe. Uh, It was to bury it in the grounds, to hide it. Well, that's what this servant did. But was he being safe? Was that really what he was trying to do? Well, no, his true character comes out as the story begins to unfold. In verses uh, 24 and 25, when the master comes back, the servant fronts up to him and, and, and says these words. He says, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Interesting, isn't it? A servant from the same household, the first two uh, had a completely different perspective of their, of their master, of the person that they were now responsible for these assets. 
And so he said, so I was afraid and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. See, this third guy, he had a, uh, he had a view of his master. He saw him as hard and harsh instead of loving and gracious. And what did his fear do? It paralyzed him. And so he took the money that had been given to him and he just buried it in the ground. He did absolutely nothing with what had been given to him. And when the master heard this report, what was his response? Well, let's say it wasn't really good. Uh, I, I get a sense that with this servant, uh, there is a sense of pride maybe. You know what? I was afraid. I was fearful of you. And so what did I do? I just kind of buried it in the ground and now here it all, I'm, I'm giving it all back to you. Look at how good I am. Well, the master doesn't respond to that in a very gracious manner and says these words to him. He says, you wicked, lazy servants. That word wicked means evil and malicious. In other words, you know, it's as if the master was saying, you are lying. You are lying in, a heart, in your heart and you are just a selfish, lazy bum. Uh, that's the Dave Lovell version of this, but you know, in essence, that's what the master is saying. You, you wicked, lazy servants. He says, uh, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seeds. And if that was the case, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags for whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them and throw this worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus finishes this parable in a, in a, in a rather confronting way by telling us that this worthless servant was punished. He was thrown outside into the darkness you know, because he was a wicked and lazy servant you know, this third servant is held up as a person who uh, who was not really a true servant of the master at all he lived in the house of the master but he didn't really know the master and consequently it was fitting that he and then and, and really anyone else who responded like that would be cast out forever out of the master's presence. So what does this parable mean for us? As we think about money, possessions, the resources that have been entrusted into our care and the use of all of that, what do we take out of that? Well, maybe as we think about that today, maybe really the the, the bigger overarching question that sits across this story. And, re and remember that this story was given in light of Christ's second coming. He's talking about, you know what, I've come once and I'm about to go, but I'm going to come back again. And so when I come back, I'm going to be looking for uh, uh, my people who have proven themselves to be faithful stewards, responsible with what I've entrusted into their care and keeping, that there will be an accounting that happens in light of all of that, and there will be a reward. You know, it kind of sits in light of all of that. What's, what's the question really for us? 
And so maybe as we we sit here, as we watch today, uh, maybe the question for us really sits across these four truths. And it's the question of, well, how does my life measure up? Or how does it line up against these four truths when I think about the money and the possessions that have been entrusted into my care? You see, this is not just a story that's given out to those who've got lots of wealth who have to, you know, think through what they're going to do. It's a, it's a story that applies to all of us, regardless of where we might find ourselves, whether we've got a lot or whether we've got little. Now, how does our life measure up against these things, against these truths that God owns it all, that God only gives us what He knows that we can handle, and that one day God's going to hold us to account for uh, the things that he's entrusted into our lives and God rewards uh, faithfulness and he punishes laziness. Now, how does our life measure up against these things? Now, let, me, let me maybe just push around on this for just a moment. You know, as we think about this truth that says, uh, this truth that God owns it all, you know, uh, am I living? You know, it's a question for us to ask. Am I living my life in light of the fact that God truly owns it all? That what I have has been given to me, but really it is only given to me for, a, for, for such a time as this. And, and life is fleeting. We're gone. I'm here one moment. I'm gone the next. And what I have has really only been given to me by God. Am I living my life today in light of the truth that God owns it all? Or am I, or am I ready today to give an account to God on that day in which Jesus returns for what has been entrusted into my care and my keeping? You know, we, we might find ourselves all in different places today in terms of what we have. And what one de- deems to be a treasure, another, you know, may not be a, such a significant treasure to that person. But am I ready to give an account to God for the way in which I've managed every dollar of treasure, every amount of time, and every gift of talent with God in mind? Well, what about that truth that says God rewards faithfulness and he punishes laziness? You know, I find that one really confronting for myself personally. You know, am I being faithful or am I being lazy with what God has given to me? This parable, it underscores the importance of faithfulness, of faithful stewardship and fruitful use of talents while negligence and inactivity are condemned and punished. And it tells us that a true characteristic of somebody who is following Jesus, even if you're only brand new on the journey, you know, a characteristic of someone who is is in love with Jesus is service and generosity. It's giving. It's giving. See, am I being faithful or am I being lazy with all that's been given to me? How does our life measure up against those four truths today as we think about the the issue of ownership and the parable of the talents? The Bible's pretty clear. It says that uh, God has entrusted his business into our our own hands and one day he's going to come back and he's going to judge us. You know, as I think about that, I'm held accountable for what I do. 
not for what you do. Only we can think of it, you know, individually as we kind of wrestle with that and think about, well, issue of ownership and what I have under my care and my influence. Am I faithfully partnering with him or am I just simply making excuses? And Jesus didn't kind of mince any words when he kind of, uh, kind of put these stories out there. He spoke in parables because he knew that some would get it and for others it would just go straight across the top of their heads. But today as we open up God's Word and as we think about this and we consider what we are doing with what has been given to us, regardless of where our treasure might sit, am I partnering with Him or am I simply making excuses? You know, I often find whenever I have a conversation about money, invariably the conversation defaults really quickly to, well, okay, well, how much money should I give back to God? And you see, I actually don't think that's the question. You know, if we are living in light of these truths that God actually owns it all, that he gives to us what he knows that we can handle, and that he's going to hold us to account one day for the way in which we have done that. See, the question is not so much, well, how much of my money do I need to give back to God? Because that's where we go to. Then people end up in arguments around, oh, yeah, but that's Old Testament and we live in New Testament today. So the question is not how much of my money does God want, but really, how much of God's money do I need to live on? See, it just reframes it in a bit of a, it just reframes it in a different way, which I think is much more biblically accurate. Yet God has given it to us. There's no doubt. He wants us to be responsible. He wants us to enjoy what He has given to us as well. This is not meant to be a, a thing of legalism. This is not meant to be uh, something that causes angst and pain. You know, God gives us all things for our enjoyment. How much of God's money that He's given to us do we really need to live on? I need to answer that question. And we need to answer that question as well too. Am I partnering with Him or am I simply making excuses? Hey, would you join me as I pray? I want to spend a moment just in prayer as the team is going to come back in just a moment. But I think this is an opportunity. At the beginning of this new series as we wrestle with what the senses we sense the spirit of god is saying into our lives to get to dedicate ourselves afresh to partnering with god let's pray father we thank you today that you love the world you love the world so much that you sent your one and only son. Today, Lord, would you help us to love the world with what we've got? Lord, would you help us to do that with extraordinary generosity? And Jesus, we thank you that you gave up everything when you crossed the cosmos 
when you came and lived and dwelt amongst us and you died for us. So would you help us afresh to live light, to live life in light of what you've done? Lord, help us not to be selfish. but to see life through the lens of Jesus. Help us to lay down our own lives for those who maybe do not know you yet. Holy Spirit, I thank you that today you've been speaking to people throughout the course of this message. As we thought about the story that Jesus told the story of the talents Holy Spirit would you, would you help us to faithfully steward the money and the possessions that you have given to us for Jesus sake we love you we adore you We want to make sure that our hearts are properly aligned with you today. And we pray that in Jesus' name.